0: Greetings, everyone, in podcast world. I'm Jonathan. Merry Advent. I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. (music) Jeremy's right. It is Advent season, so Merry Christmas to everyone.
1: Yeah, there's no Advent greeting, so I combined Christmas and Advent, and it said Merry Advent.
0: I wonder if people when they are listening to our podcast sometimes think to themselves oh this is just two dads just wait like, <laughs> gotta... I imagine so and
1: by the way just uh, just I think we've said it before but all the music is Jonathan's music you need to go buy it and uh, give Jonathan a Christmas present that kickback <laughs> no, he gets no, from uh... no.
0: Um well that's hilarious. That that
1: comment. I mean, it is so it's I'm telling you. He was worried that he was trying to self promote and I'm like, No, yeah, I'm, that, I'm all about it. I am all about it.
0: That and comment now, that comment came from because right before we went on, I, I asked Jeremy if he loathed me or the fact that I not was a, promoting yeah. shamelessly plugging my own music. You need to go do it. It's called
1: Lima. Life in Middle oh, yeah. America. It's
0: great. <laughs> I've got it. All right, so we're we're talking today. Talking today. About this phrase that people say all the time, maybe they say it because they believe it. Maybe they say it because it's a popular cliche- phrase. Cliche. Cliche that feels good. But I hear it a lot, and I've heard it a lot this week, and so I just want to talk about it, Jeremy. The phrase is, God is in control. Okay. What's the Bible reference on that one?
1: Ooh. I... I, I... You got me. I don't know. I don't think it is. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Crap, I'm like, a terrible pastor. <laughs> terrible <laughs> pastor. I can can tell you the song and sing it, yeah, you know, yeah. a few bars of it, but I, the Bible.
0: I would be curious how many of our listeners know the Twilight Paris song. Do you guys remember it? Oh, God, God is in control. Got yeah. great like great 80s like sense lines and stuff. Great,
1: yeah. It was it was very big. When CCM was hitting its stride, it, yep. it, it was right there.
0: Um, might've been the nineties. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't completely remember, but so this phrase, God is in control. Where does it come from? And, and I, Jeremy, I don't know that I, I don't know that I believe that in order to believe in and have a relationship with God, you have to believe the phrase God is in control. And I've recently just been thinking critically about that phrase pastorally as, um, I was in the hospital this morning with a woman who is just chronically sick, and her life is so sad. And my wife and I, we just went to her hospital room this morning just to sing Christmas songs because, you know, she's she's sad. And it's not like there's some uh, silver lining at the end where she has this promise of necessarily even making it out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just sad right now. Mm-hmm. She can't. I, I, mean, I hope she recovers. I'm not you know, saying that it's, it's all just doom. But right now it's a very, very, it's just very dark for her, you know? And I would never say the phrase to her, well, God's in control. You know, I've got a, um, uh, situation where, a uh, you know, a woman is being unfaithful to her husband. I'm not going to say to the husband, Hey, dude, God's in control. <laughs> I, said, I mean, and I just, I, maybe we could talk today a little bit about the, where where that phrase come from comes from why we say it maybe why we need it or maybe why we could get rid of it is that all right kind of explore this the yeah I mean the phrase and just because this is very much this is just a cliche of evangelicalism let's face it
1: I think that I'm I'm right there with you and and I think that one cool thing about our theological um heritage heritage yeah way, way of thinking tribe of Wesleyanism um gives us a lot of space and, and gives us the understanding that experience is really important, um, that that is a way we get at truth. And it's been my experience, just like you were, were saying, that as I've journeyed with people and they've gone through certain hard times or difficult situations, to try to look at them and, and, and say that word or that phrase would be almost more insulting than than saying the opposite. And, and I think that, that as we are trying to be with people and journey with people, um, it's really important that we don't just say things flippantly um, and don't just say things uh, just because we think it's the right thing to say. Because we could do more harm for, for where God actually is in the situation and could do more harm for the, that person having an understanding of where God is in that situation. And even just... Um, misrepresenting who God is period and and I told people actually in my small group this past Sunday uh, somebody was talking in that language and in that lingo and I said dude if somebody said that to me I think I'd punch them in the face Um, just for the simple fact that you really didn't hear what I said and Mm -hmm. and didn't you chose not to actually enter into this situation with me you wanted to stay on the side that made you comfortable and that made you feel better. And I think a lot of times when we say those phrases, and, and especially this one, it has more to do with my own comfort dealing with a certain situation or a certain person or a certain circumstance. I say it because it makes me feel better and had, it really has nothing to do with trying to bring comfort to the person who's going through that, that circumstance.
0: You said something about the, the opposite phrase there. To say God is not in control. All right, everybody listening, did you just feel very uncomfortable? Hear that coming out of my mouth. <laughs> what is it? But can we think about the idea of the opposite? Can we think about the possibility of the opposite for a second? Okay. What if God is not in control? What happens to God? Can God exist? Can God be the source? And, cannot, and can God not be controlling I, I think if you are um a reformed
1: Calvinist thinker, you uh you may have just uh <laughs> passed out or ran the car off the road.
0: <laughs> I don't both feel hands like, on the wheel folks. I, don't, I don't
1: think there is any framework in that that train of theological thinking that that can even remotely begin to think about what that would look like or mean for the world. If that but then I feel like if you are lean more once again towards a Wesleyan understanding, I would hope that the conversation is a little easier to have. It should be, I feel like, if you if we really understand the tenets of that theological perspective and and what I think Wesley was trying to say um, and all of his writings and sermons and such about who God is and how God should you know interacts with the world and with people um, but I think that I, I I would I would say sure yeah I think God could still be God
0: well so you talked about you talked about experience being uh, one of the lenses through which we think about, the nature of God, but scripture also is. I mean, scripture is still, you know, a cornerstone of our theological tradition. And there are several phrases that I've been thinking about in relating in relation to this phrase. One of them that I've been meditating on is the moment of Jesus at the cross where he says, father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Oftentimes in our West, in our Western Christian tradition, when we talk about the cross and when we talk about atonement, we talk about it in a very C.S. Lewis kind of way, that this was um, something that was foreordained. You know, in the same way that Peter talks about uh, us being predestined from the foundation of the world. I think to be conformed to the likeness of the Son. Is that? Am I wrong? Is that? Is that not First Peter? First Peter.
1: Yeah, I I'm, once again you're hitting me with all this I should you're, I should you're, have, you're quizzing I should me on my have, Bible I should have done knowledge a reference
0: check. Somebody out there do a reference check and send me an email. But I think that we think of we think of the atonement in a very CS Lewis kind of way that in in the like from ancient times it was written, you know, uh, in blood that there would have to be some sort of atonement and we think about atonement in that kind of way. But when Jesus talks about atonement on the cross, when he says, "Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing." He puts the agency on what happened in the cross. On the people, hmm. not on God, and even at the cross, you know people. People say that when Jesus says, "Father, forgive them," or when Jesus says, um, uh, "Why have you forsaken me, my God, my God? Why have you forsaken me?" People have said that that's an example. That's a moment of Jesus saying that God is actively like smiting him and that he's turning his face on him. But actually, what Jesus is doing is he's quoting the first verse of Psalm twenty-two that is a psalm written hundreds of years before Jesus' death on the cross that actually describes crucifixion. Jesus is not talking actually necessarily... Um, he's not necessarily saying that God is, is forsaking him as much as he is fulfilling a prophecy of this one who was forsaken, which is just so amazing and mind-blowing. And, and John, at the beginning of his gospel, he says... That Jesus came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. There's this idea that in Jesus' life, it wasn't God that was controlling and manipulating every moment, but that Jesus actually emptied himself of his godness, now this is Paul, and subjected himself as a servant to the will of people. Which makes us very uncomfortable, I think.
1: But I feel like it's so biblical, like even in the Old Testament that, you know, it's just so, once again, interesting. So I was listening to a podcast here and they were talking about the book of Exodus and they were talking about the Old Testament where, where God says, you know what, I'm going to, you can go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going unless you go with us. And then God says, okay, I'll go. (laughs) And if you read that at face value,
0: Moses is influencing Either God, God's right? Either God's being
1: tricky with Moses
0: and playing tricks on Moses, like "Ah, oh, I was just kidding." And um, well, Jeremy, there's another spot where where God tells Moses, "I'm going to step back. I'm going to kill my people," and Moses intervenes and he says, "You can't do this. Right? You can't do this. These are your people. Right? Absolutely not." And the scripture actually tells us God changed his mind. Right? Like yeah, Moses. Affected God. I think the Hebrew word is the same word that we would
1: translate repent in some instances. Um, Yeah, but and you think, well, did God make a mistake? And I think the idea in an Old Testament deal is that you're going down one road and then you change and go down a different road. That we have a different understanding, I think, of repentance than what maybe the Old Testament would look like. And I think there's passages, you know, and you know, God destroyed the earth and then he was very sad and and repented of, of of doing that with Noah and and then he said he'd uh, never he said he never do it again never do it again and and then in uh Jeremiah this, this podcast was pointing out that that God says I'm going to destroy these nations unless they repent then I will not destroy them and so the intent is if they keep doing what they're doing but if they change then I'm going to change what I do um so it wasn't this so set God's not just agenda. controlling yeah. God's actually affected by the way that people act in the world absolutely and so I would say that I don't know that, um, you know, and this is where I feel like we go, we, we land a lot in the podcast um, and maybe I'm getting there too early, but maybe it's not a God controls everything and maybe it's not a God has no control. Yeah. Maybe it's a God controls what he is allowed to control. If people will surrender their lives to him, his influence in their lives, they they give up their own will or their own um desires and surrender them to the creator of the universe and therefore god then is able to to influence and and persuade them to live the way that he had created them to live well the that's
0: beginning. very much the, Reve- the revelation passage where he says i stand at the door and knock right if, if. anyone hears my voice and opens the door then i'll come in this kind of idea of God as a gentleman right one who is you know um uh one who is willing to be invited you know open to it Uh, this is actually John 3 16 Mm -hmm. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life Mm -hmm. um verse 17 God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world God did not send His Son into the world to say, "You're going to hell in a handbasket." He sent His Son into the world to save the world through Him. And three sixteen just said that the um, the the agency was in the people that whoever believed in Him, mm-hmm. right? So there, it's not that it's not that God is just controlling and manipulating. Uh, in in these in these various these various passages, you know, I. I th- I think to myself, uh, just about um, the need f- for us to have kind of a an idea of God in our minds that helps us process our our own lives. Hmm. So our the the perception that we have of God helps us helps us to process. You know, and there are I have met people in my church that they just want to believe that the bad things in their life that have happened to them have happened for a reason, you know, this idea of everything happens for a reason, I think is very much connected to this idea of God is in control. And the, the thing is when when we think about that phrase, everything happens for a reason. I, I agree with that phrase. If the reason can be the stupidity of people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I just feel like, and once again we have a theological tribe that lends itself to to a lot of this but you know we believe in a thing called free will that, that god is not going to manipulate and control um because love demands a, um, love demands a choice like the only way i know that that somebody actually loves me is not if i make them or force them true love is when they do it because they just choose to 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 show me that or to to give me that it's not forced it can't be coerced it can only be a response to to love that is given and and so i think that the free will you know we we're like yeah people have free will but but god's in control and i feel like those two phrases can't exist with yeah yeah. they can't exist with you they're just they're they're antithetical, potentially even, to understanding who God is and and how what our response is, and so, so I think that that as we, you know, some people say, well, what about when it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, or what about it says God chose Jacob but he didn't choose Esau, or how yeah. do we how do we grapple with all of those things? Uh, the first thing I would say is I think there's some things in the Bible that bring up tension, and and we ha- I think we have to be okay with it, you know, and. And then people are like, "Well, you're saying the Bible isn't is not inerrant." It's like that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> like that, that, and we don't even once again hold to that understanding in our tradition in our tribe, that it's inerrant in all ways. Um,
0: yeah, but we're, that, we're not that that brand of fundamentalist. Absolutely, that. but
1: we believe in understanding what what brings salvation and how do we be saved and what does that look like. That's where we would say the Bible's pretty cohesive in its understanding of, of that that thought and that understanding. Um, but I think that, that, once again, this is where I just think it's really important to be a part of a community that really wants to understand the Bible on its terms, rather than try to make the Bible fit their own terms. Because I think, um, even in some of the language in the Old Testament, when it's talking about Pharaoh and hardening his heart, is there's actually different words throughout that narrative that refer to Pharaoh's heart and what's happening. And it wasn't that because I think there's some phrases that says God hardened Pharaoh's heart or God made Pharaoh's heart hard. But in that phrase, it's not that God is making that happen in Pharaoh. It's more of God is letting Pharaoh live into the narrative that he has already been living into. It's more of a giving over to. And if that's who you want to be, then I, we will see whose God really is God and what that looks like. And it wasn't that God was doing it, but God was saying, all right, Pharaoh, you want to be this is what you how you want to do it.
0: I'm going to allow you to live into that narrative into that story. Well, isn't that what Paul understands in Romans as he says that God gave people over to the lusts of their hearts to do what ought not to be done. Right. It's as if what Paul is saying is that God willed a particular thing and that people were actually in control and so God just let them over to uh, debased mind to do things that ought not to be done. And for, for Paul, this is, um, you know, Paul, Paul is very vast. I mean, Paul writes a lot of things in the New Testament and I, I get anxious, you know, sometimes when people, quote Paul to make a point because oftentimes when Paul makes a point in one place there's another place where there's more nuance right you know right but in this because per- he's writing two different yes cultural situations thank you okay but in this particular sp- place in Romans as you know the book of Romans provides kind of his explanation of salvation kind of to a with a Jewish mind about kind of the work of Christ in the world and it's really a profound complete peace you know that we really limit the magnitude of it when we just pick and choose different phrases the Romans road is very troubling to me because I don't think it actually provides a summary of Romans and I think that we've talked about that before but essentially what, what Paul says there in Romans uh, at the very beginning of it is that that human humans are the ones who are making these destructive decisions and that God creatively is having to intervene in in history and his great plan of intervention was coming to us like that's that's god's great plan the way that god controls (laughs) which (laughs) i i don't i don't like the word but it's what we're talking about today god's form of controlling is entering in Mm. it's self-emptying it's emmanuel god with us it's influence Mm. it's whispers it's uh uh, it's miracles. Receive them if you don't, if you want to, or if you don't want to. You know, I mean, uh, it's kind of up to you. the cho- the choice The choice is up to you. You know, uh, my favorite my favorite Christmas line of any hymn, "Where meek souls will receive Him still, mm. the dear Christ enters in." You know, I mean, that's that's the form of control that we see in the New Testament from God is one who comes to Earth and subjects Himself as a servant to those that God created. And I think that for some people, that's not an acceptable version of God.
1: Hmm.
0: I think that some people are offended by the Christmas story, the idea that baby Jesus was not in control and they don't allow the story to actually speak to us what it is speaking to us about the character of God. But I think that the story of Christmas, I don't know if I just said Easter, the story of Christmas is... I heard Christmas. Okay. okay. You may have said Easter. The story of Christmas. The story of Christmas.
1: Which would apply to Easter. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The story of Christmas, which leads to the story of Easter, (laughs) is a story of a God who leaves maybe a controlling throne Hmm. and just enters into human history.
1: And isn't that the scandal of the story? There were a lot of stories back then about kings who were born of virgins and who were sons of God and in the Roman Empire and the Roman narrative. But they were born in palaces and born in, in in places that you would expect a king to be born. And this king comes in a manger, right? This king comes through uh, an unwed teenager, which I think the story of Mary, I think she could have looked at God and was like, I'm out. And yet she says, I'm willing to to enter into this narrative even though it was going to mean so many bad things for her and being ostracized from her community and all this stuff and maybe Joseph turning his back on her and, and it was just she chose to, she had a choice, I think, to say, I'll do it or I, I'm out. And, and her choice then set her life on a trajectory of being the, the mother of the savior of the world. And so I think that that as we are that once again, that's the scandal of the story is is that this king enters in in, in a different way. Um, what, you know, you're talking about Romans, which I think you're understanding. And once again, if you can get chapter one in a right perspective, the oft quoted verse from Romans eight that people love also in times of grief and pain, that God works all things out for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Most often is used in such a way that, once again, that God is causing all this to bring good into the world. But I don't think that's what that passage, you know, or that that line is saying at all. It's more of in the midst of whatever you're going through, God can be present to bring about good things or, or, and, and bring about things, bring about his kingdom, but it has nothing to do with, um, God causing the bad things to happen in your life so that his kingdom can come, but more of a God who is present in the midst of, um, that allows his story and narrative for your life to be written in a way that maybe even if you hadn't been going through those situations, his story couldn't have been written in your life.
0: For me, one of the reasons that I have faith in in such a strong faith, I would say, is that I, I have seen moments where people have made an absolute wreck of their life and where at every turn, they've had an opportunity to turn back to God. And oftentimes they do, they pivot and turn back to God. And I've seen the miracle of lives being transformed because to me, the, 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 the wonder of God is not that he's in control, but at every moment, I think that individuals can turn to God and turning to God could be the thing that absolutely transforms a life that to me is, is the miracle of Emmanuel of God with us. Not that God dominates, but that as we receive him, he can, he can change what we allow him to change. Right. If that, if that makes sense. And so for me, the phrase God is in control is actually very dangerous because i hear it in a context in which it allows people to be lazy or allows people to be irresponsible in their quest of god does that make sense
1: oh absolutely it it, it, it lends itself to say well i prayed about it and now i don't have to be engaged in this situation in my community because it's just going to be what it's going to be god's in control god's in control like it, it causes you to say well i can't change it or i can't fix it like what's going to be is what's going to be i'm not going to get involved in my pregnancy care center and i'm not going to get involved in these places because apparently those girls are pregnant because that's what it was supposed to be and so it does create i don't know if that's what you're speaking to but it everything does, it's everything. It creates it's it. a laziness to say well it is what it is and it's like yeah but maybe maybe we are um the hands and feet of jesus so i it makes me raise two questions i guess um why do you think people like what what's the reason people maybe use this frit like what do you think? Like what what's why is it so easy at the tip of the tongue when people are are going through things? What is um why do you think it's I,
0: popular? So Okay, popular? so I, I think that it's painful to process our lives. Mm. I, I actually believe that. And and the further that I go on in pastoral ministry, I am growing to believe that many A majority of people are not willing to be honest with themselves about their situation.
1: And about what has gotten them to that situation. Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So particularly when it comes to marriage, Mm. I mean, I will sit across from people who have been absolute, absolutely lousy spouses. Mm. And they just have this belief that momentum is taking them toward divorce and that God's God's in control. You know, ultimately God's in control. And I'm like, whoa whoa whoa, pause, stop. Obviously from the things that you've told me, you've been in control. Right. And it made some terrible decisions. Repent. Turn to God. Right. Like the whole point of Jesus coming was he came to tell people, "Hey, hello. You have you have agency. God's not in control. Repent for the kingdom of God is here." Like use the godness inside of you <laughs> right. to do something about the terrible situation that you're in right you know yeah. repent yeah for the kingdom of heaven is near but but the thing is like as I as I again it's pastoral care as I as I'm with people who have made de- detrimental decision after detrimental decision to find themselves in a situation it's so much easier to just say God is in control than to say, you know what? I smoked cigarettes for 30 years and I'm dying of cancer. Mm. Or to say, you know what? I've not cultivated a relationship with my child for 30 years. I've worked 14 hours every day. Mm. It's it's so much easier to not look in the mirror and just say God is in control. So that's, what about you? What's, what's your- Well, I just think it's interesting
1: that that when a situation is working out the way they want to, I just even think of, like politically, like I, I remember one time and maybe I've, I've told this story before, but like when I first moved to Paulding, I, I made this statement that about leaders and them being in, in power because God had them there. And I was like, so, you know, at the time Barack Obama was president and I was like, he like, if that's what we believe, then he is there because you think potentially God wants him there. Yeah. and it's the first time somebody in my church said something like out loud. I have no idea who it was but they were like, why?" And I was like <laughs> it's like, well, if you hold the it was the it was the craziest thing and it was like it's just interesting that we will say it if if the thing if my life looks the way I want it to, guys and sometimes we and once again, I feel it's all circumstantial based on when we say it, in what reference we say it to because then once again sometimes in bad times we say well god's in control you know what i'm saying so it's not just the good times not just the bad i feel like we're very um specific on when we want to throw that phrase out and most often it makes us feel better it's easier for me to say that god isn't in control if the person i didn't want to get elected Like, why would God do that? Because, you know, obviously he would want the person that I think is the best to be elected in, you know, and just this whole understanding of of what that looks like. It's easier when somebody's going through a difficult time for me to say that, because then I can feel better about myself that I'm not going through it. So God must be giving me good things and God must be um, making my path a little bit better.
0: If God is in control of my life, then I don't have to repent. Yeah, I really, I really believe that as I, as I see people say that phrase, Mm. I think that God is in control is a gateway to a hard heart, mm. because so I made it either
1: I'm going to heaven or I'm not. So yeah, so I
0: made a decision, a decision several years ago, to be very critical in a relationship, and it injured the relationship. I can do one of two things: I can say, "Well, you know what? God's in control, and that situation happened because it was God's will," or I can say, "Shoot, I was in control, mm. and I did what was wrong." Mm. And I need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so there's a phrase, there's a moment in the book of John, in John 9, that uh, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I did take years of Greek. And in Even my young, a Greek in my scholar,
1: I guess, you know, you know what
0: I, okay. T- it, on the, in the spectrum of Greek scholars, I'm not in the world's elite, but I do. I do know Greek. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. That was, that was very uh, <laughs> encouraging a confidence boosting, you know, Yeah. and so a note to all here for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to all of you out there: don't be self-loathing. Okay, well, in my young preaching career, um, as I was learning Greek, I one of the first texts that I ever read in Greek that I was going to preach on was this passage in John nine. At the beginning, it's it's a it's a story of Jesus healing a man born blind. Uh, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus' disciples understood the world to be a world in which God was in control. That's what they understood, okay? They were religious people.
1: You did good things, God blessed you. You did bad things, God cursed you. There was
0: a karma system and God was in control. So Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now the NIV says it like this, and I'm I'm gonna gonna come at the NIV here in a second. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the way that the NIV spins it is that this bad thing happened to this person so that God could do a miracle. God could use his life as the substance of a miracle. Well, one of the things that people don't realize when they read the Bible in English is that the Greek text has no uh, punctuation. It's all just kind of sandwiched together. And in reading this phrase, the the, the Greek phrase is not actually ordered this way. The Greek phrase is actually ordered like this. Neither this man nor his parents sinned that this happened to him. But so that the work of God might be displayed in him, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. In the Greek, Jesus doesn't answer the question by giving them an answer. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, That this happened to him okay that's first phrase and then the second phrase is but so that the works of god might be displayed in him as long as it is day we must do the works of him who sent me like jesus is like i'm not interested in answering your questions of why the bad things happened all i know is while it's day we got to do something about it like that's what that's the conversation yeah but in our niv in our kind of reformed Western God is in control kind of might makes right mindset, we have to translate it like this. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of the first point that for me where I was like, Oh, hold on a second. This is the, the God, God being this idea of God being in control has been pervasive in the way that a lot of us do theology and we don't even realize it, you know? And you know, it's, It's some people give me a hard time for thinking deeply, you know, about texts and uh, but but the problem is I do pastoral ministry on the ground with real suffering people that try answers don't work for them. You know who try answers work for big, big uh, book publishers, Mm. you know, cliches, cliches work for publishing houses, but they don't work for, in my opinion, they don't work for People on the ground that are suffering, you know what I'm saying? I think it's actually helpful for people to realize, oh, you're saying this terrible thing that happened to me wasn't God? Yeah. You're saying my spouse had agency in that affair? Yeah. Yes. You know? A few Sundays ago,
1: we had um, right from right here in Lima, Ohio, Lima Central Catholic, there's a runner that's legally blind and for cross country. No kidding, Jeremy. I so didn't know this. I brought him on a Sunday morning and interviewed him and his running guide in our church service for our sermon that day. And so, um, explain that to people. His running guide. So how does that work? So he runs cross country. Obviously, he's he's he can see a little, but he's legally blind. But he so he can see like. On the ground that there's different things, but he has a guide that helps him run the race and runs with him. So, what does the guide do? Does the guide call out to him? Guy will say, the guide will say, okay, we're getting ready to have gravel. Like you're about to run on gravel, and the guide will say, okay, now we're going to turn left, and so no way. The, so he can kind of look ahead and see the course and just help him through the race. It's wow. it's the most inspiring thing I've ever seen in my life, and so I would see them at meets. Wow. And I was like, I got to know, you uh, know? And so I contacted them and, and they ended up coming to my church and it was awesome. It was really cool. And um, so me, I was thinking um, the, the narrative, the story we were going to get at was that um, something about seeing and that God guides us and God gives us direction along the way. And um, I was talking to my oldest son about it, Caleb, and he's like, dad, that's not the story. I was like, okay, buddy, what is it? And he goes, sometimes God chooses not to heal people, but we have to go help them. That's the call. It's not that this guy, that that we should pray that God would heal this guy so that he could see this runner. But we need to pray that we would be the guide who comes alongside the people who need the help. And enter into their
0: situation. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think that's the story of Johnny. Exactly right. I'm not trying like exactly. No, no, no. But- that's
1: exactly it. And and so, so we are telling the story. And the guy I was, you know, interviewing them in church, and he's and I I met with him before, and we you know chat a little bit, and he's like, during season, he's like, listen, I love beer and pizza, but when it's cross country season, I have to give it up because I need to be there for him and be able to run the race with him and make sure that he, and so the, the blind kid that we would think the guide is helping is actually making the guide a better person Oh my! as he comes alongside him to be this, this different person or whatever. Yes. And, and I was, so I was just like, listen to this people. A lot of times we think we're going to go be the helper, but when you journey with people, they actually do just as much for you as you're journeying with them and your story, in your life. And so the call is, is that I'm sure a lot of people prayed that his name's Kenyon uh, would be healed of his blindness. But maybe the healing that happens is not that he can see, but that people come alongside him that can be his eyes and be the things that he needs. And that's where I feel like. Just saying, God's in control. Like He's got to figure it out. No, 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 no. We have to enter ourselves into those situations and journey with those people and provide the things that they need. And is it messy? Yeah. And do I may I have to change my life to make that happen? Absolutely. But it's the call of Jesus. I, I saw a thing. I heard a story that there's a in Rome. There's a crucifix in some church, but the the crucifix, the Jesus has no arms, so it's just his body and his legs and um and Desmond Tutu was there and he said that's amazing and he was asking the people about it like why did you keep it why didn't you just replace i don't know if it got damaged in a war i don't i didn't hear read all that part but they said because it reminds us that jesus needs hands in the world and that wow. that that wow the jesus is not just detached making all this happen but if things are going to happen in the world we are his arms <laughs> in the world. And it's a constant reminder, are we being the arms of Jesus to the people around us? Or are we just expecting that he's just doing it all? And, yeah. and how do we be a part of that? And so I said I had two questions. My second question was, so if you are with people and you don't say God is in control, what do you say? How do we help people have better verbiage as we are journeying through life and journeying with people,
0: how what are things that you do say, I guess? So today I was praying this morning with a woman in the hospital who's in a very dire situation. And I didn't end my prayer with, but God, we know you're in control. I didn't end my prayer with that. I ended my prayer and I said, Lord, this is a dark situation for fill in the blank name. And you know it. Hmm. And so we are praying. This woman might know your peace, yeah. that she might just sense your nearness here, that you might continue to inspire in the life that she has. You know, I mean, I I don't pray for I don't I don't say more than I know. Yeah, That's kind of a commitment that I have as a pastor is I'm not going to say more than I know. I very rarely, if ever, say to anyone, God told me fill in the blank mm. because I'm not God and I don't know. I just don't use that. I don't use that phrase. Like, I, I'm very anxious to say, To and furthermore, Jesus says to us, do not swear by heaven for it is God's throne or earth for it is his footstool. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this, you know what he says? It comes from the evil one. Yeah. It comes from the devil. Right. People that are going around saying... God is doing this, God's doing this. Jesus says, when you say that, that's the devil speaking. Mm. You better be careful not to be saying, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That this is God and this is, because you know what? Isaiah tells us, who has known the mind of the Lord that we ought to be his instructor? You know what it what I'm probably
1: means you are an untruthful person because if you're having to add all these things onto it, like, no, I promise, or I, like, if, if people don't believe you and you just say what it is you say, yes. then, then you must have been an untruthful person to begin with. right? Which is, I think, where it came from is the people are like, no, I swear by such and such, and it's like, well, why do you have to do that? Because they don't believe you. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't believe what you're saying. Like, be a truthful person. Be a truthful person. I, I love what you said. And 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 I try to lean into that too. And, and, and all I, the, the hope I hope to give to people is that no matter what you go through, like, God will be with you. God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. And that I can't promise you that it's going to be easy. I can't promise you that it's going to be that you may even get better, but I do know that no matter what may come, he will never leave us or forsake us.
0: Well, and, and I do think that that's another Christmas theme, is that in Jesus coming to earth, God did not fix everything. Right? He didn't solve the problem of of the Roman occupation in Israel. He didn't solve the political problems. Jesus didn't heal everybody. You know, I mean, there there were still problems in the world. You know, uh, for those, uh, who, you know, are kind of conservative leaning, like most of us here in in Lima, Ohio, you know, there's this suspicion of the government. I heard a, a devotional once from a pastor who said, you know, that the people come, the people came to ask Jesus about the tax, you know, and, uh, they said, do you pay it? And he says, whose inscriptions on it? And they say Caesars, and he says, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. Essentially what Jesus is saying there is to be a part of the world, we have to be a part of the systems, you know, of authority and tyranny that are over us. That's just a part of life. So Jesus knew that he was he knew that he was participating in a system that was somewhat tyrannical. And he still participated in it. You know what I'm saying? Because I mean he well, didn't I mean, fix he, everything. The, the fish provided the image. There was a little bit of theme music coming yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, say what you're saying about the fish image. When he's like, "Go get this coin out of the fish" or whatever. Well, that's that's also (laughs) what's also interesting. So there's another that there's kind of this tension where it's not that God was necessarily in control, but Jesus shows that despite the injustice of the system, God is going to provide, which is just interesting. Like it's not that God's controlling controlling the politics, but God's providing despite the politics, which is is different than God completely controlling the situation, you know? It's so good. It's so good. So, yeah, you know,
1: once again, we've solved all of the worlds, you know. (laughs) We got it all figured out. This is
0: kind of a deep conversation for Advent, uh, for sure. And
1: yet, what it's all about, I feel like. yeah, I I really, because you're right, not only did he not fix the situation, the situation killed him. Yeah. And... And I think that as we journey through Advent, as we begin the journey to through Jesus's life, to the Holy Week, to the empty tomb, to Pentecost, like it's all pointing to this understanding that. That I'm giving you a way to have hope and peace and joy and love, but if you want to choose your own thing and, and, and want to choose your own path, that's cool, but I'm providing a way for you to have all these words that we celebrate in the Advent season, and providing a way for you to have all those things because you will—they may have life and have it abundantly. You live for a different understanding of how the world works, yeah. And when you live for a different understanding than how the rest of the world works, I think you're able to um, to see things a bit differently. But God doesn't force it on you, right? right? God doesn't force it on anybody, um, but it's there for everybody.
0: Where meek souls will receive Him still, the dear Christ enters in. The Evangelicals Podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.